Welcome to this episode of CRST The Podcast. In today's program, Professor Stefano Barabino, Professor of Ophthalmology and Head of the Ocular Surface Center at the Sacco Hospital in Milan, Italy, will lead the first of three discussions focusing on dry eye disease, or DED. In this episode, we'll share the history of how dry eye was determined to be a disease rather than just a symptom, and what is happening at the ocular surface in the vicious cycle of DED. We'll also discuss the disconnect between signs and symptoms in this condition, the link between cataract surgery and DED, and the increasing prevalence of DED in younger people associated with increased use of screens. Today we are talking about uh, dry eye. Dry eye is a very important uh, disease. We see a lot of patients with this uh, disease. So uh, it is probably time to understand something more about uh, the disease, something more about uh, our patients. I would like to welcome Professor Maurizio Rolando. Uh, Maurizio is a professor of uh, ophthalmology at the University of Genoa, Italy, and Professor Priya Gupta. Uh, Priya is a, a professor of ophthalmology at the Duke University in Durham, North Carolina, uh, United uh, States. So Maurice, I would like to start uh, with you. You have a broad experience uh, in uh, treating patients with uh, dry eye, but also a lot of experience in, in the field of research of uh, dry eye. So Maurice, you are the right person to answer this question. What uh, is a dry eye? Well, <laughs> with, I really don't know, <laughs> but, but uh, I'm trying, it's 30 years that I'm working, trying to discover what it is behind dry, what we call dry eye. And uh, I, I must say at the beginning, I, I was working in, in Boston with uh, uh, Klaus Dolman, and uh, we used to have a patient with dry eye, but usually they are Sjögren syndromes. And, uh, and, and once uh, Klaus told me, well, I, I, we were talking about evaporation, and uh, I, Klaus told me, why don't you study the evaporation from the ocular surface? Klaus was studying the transportation of the water across uh, uh, the cornea, and, and told me, well, why don't we study? And, and as a matter of fact, I noticed that they, a lot of dry eyes, they do have an increased air evaporation. And this was very uh, characteristic of uh, what we people that we thought that they had some kind of inflammation on the surface. And they also complained that of symptoms of dry eye, but they have a higher uh, Schirmer test. And so by chance, I invented what is called evaporative dry eye now. And, and then slowly things changed because we started to understand that it was not just a pure problem of lack of tears, but the composition of the tears uh, uh, was changing. And we came out with the term uh, toxic tears again many years ago. So telling that the tears can become toxic for the ocular surface. And, and this is, was another step in understanding what's going on and then we see that there are different patients at different characteristics. So not just the pure you know, lack of tears, a very thin meniscus and so on, but 
you have a, a inflamed surface and 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 then i think uh, uh, this is what's the the real turning point of uh, the understanding what's going on uh, and in uh, understanding the possible approach to the therapy of dry eyes and and so understanding that it's not just a problem of lack of tears that's a name dry eye which is wrong of course because most of the of the patient they don't don't have a dry surface but but we have uh, uh, you know the combination of the two things and and then uh, the evolution uh, started to see that there is involvement also not just of the tears uh, but also the epithelia and uh, the lids and so on and then we started for you know a, a problem of having little tears on the surface then into slowly shifting into a disease it's not just a, a symptom, a collection of symptoms or signs, but a, a real disease. I don't know if I answered you your question, but this is... Uh, yes, it, it's problem. clear. So now we're talking about a, a dry eye disease. I totally agree yeah. with you, Maurizio. We are not talking about a dry syndrome anymore, but we are talking about a dry disease. It's very, very important. At the same time, it's very important for our patients. Uh, Priya, uh, who are the patients with uh, dry eye? I mean, what do they complain about and what is their uh, quality uh, of life? Um, well, this is such an important topic because um, I think it's important for clinicians to realize that the, not all dry eye disease patients look alike and nor do they complain of the same things. So one person might come in with what we call classic symptoms of redness, irritation, foreign body sensation, while the next person might come in with fluctuating vision, um, blurry vision, and um, they don't identify, you know, necessarily with pain or discomfort. And so as clinicians, um, you know, we have to have a high threshold to be looking for these patients. Um, whether it's in our, you know, general routine population or in our cataract and refractive population, and uh, really, you know, have a high suspicion for dry eye when patients um, complain of that, you know, classic symptom, but also when they complain of non-classical symptoms like fluctuating vision. Does it happen to you to see patients that complain a lot about the symptoms, but then you look at the surface of the eye and you don't see many signs? And uh, uh, also, the opposite situations, like patients with no signs, uh, but uh, complaining uh, a lot. Does it happen to you? Oh, all the time. I think that what happens over time in dry eye, in the early stages, um, patients tend to be very symptomatic. And um, often their, their ocular surface can still kind of hold it together to maintain some level of homeostasis such that, you know, you're not necessarily going to see um, breakdown of the epithelium or um, conjunctival staining of, you know, the cornea or the conjunctiva. And so those are the patients where you look in and say, hmm, you know, you look like you should be fine. Why are you complaining so much? And unfortunately, over time, what happens is that these patients become almost, you know, neurotrophic-like. Their bodies become used to that chronic signal of pain, discomfort, and um, unfortunately, with repeated sort of cycles of inflammation, patients will have compromise of the ocular surface. And it's almost, you know, if you think about it like a protective mechanism, you know, the body 
tries to stop sending that signal to the brain to say, hey, there's something wrong. You're, you know, there's something wrong with your ocular surface. And so sometimes our more severe patients actually don't have as many complaints as our mild early patients. So Maurizio, uh, it seems to me that there is a sort of like a vicious uh, cycle uh, that determines uh, uh, dry eye. And patients can uh, stay into the cycle, uh, come out from, from uh, this cycle, but everything starts from an alteration of the ocular surface uh, uh, system. Can you please describe to us uh, what is this uh, ocular surface system and how does it work? I know that uh, uh, you have published recently a paper uh, about a new classification of uh, dry eye. Can you please tell us something more about this point? Well, yeah, uh, as you said, the, the patient with the, uh, starting to have uh, this problem with uh, so sad dryness or these symptoms, they do enter into a vicious circle, which is uh, uh, bringing more and more as far as pathologies to the ocular surface. The ocular surface is a, really a system. It's a system involving the tear film, the epithelia, the, the lacrimal glands uh, and the lids, the, the movement, the muscles of the lids, the, lids, the outflow pathways of the tears into the nose, and uh, uh, of course the conjunctiva and so on. So it's a real system which is able to react. And this is what is called hormesis, the ability to react and the, to maintain the homeostasis. If something comes out from outside, like you know, wind, a lot of wind, working with a computer, or something coming from inside, like a disease, will change our ability to react. And the patient can enter into a vicious circle, which is going to maintain. Sometimes you never, you don't find the starting point that brought the patient into the vicious circle. It's very common after you know, survival, uh, conjunctivitis, you know, uh, which is uh, inflammation lasting quite longer on the surface. Then the patient starts complaining. Well, then it's perfectly healed I far, I far from the point of view of the conjunctivitis, but the patient still complains of dryness on the surface. So something happened to the system and the system is not, able to cope with the stimuli coming from the outside. And they get involved in this uh, uh, vicious circle, which is sometimes is a spiral, that get, they're getting worse and worse. Uh, some patients can stay into the vicious circle for a while and then can get off. Uh, let's see, uh, some patients get, uh, anytime I work with the computer, I feel my eyes uh, burning. And sometimes this burning goes away, sometimes not, and the weekend goes away. So they still are able to compensate. But a, a number of other patients, they can, can, the, the disease become persistent. And this patient, they enter in the vicious circle. In the vicious circle, it's always a, it's a, it's the presence of a tear film instability, is the presence of some kind of inflammation that you can see, or maybe you. You cannot see that they, they call what we call para-inflammation, you know, and then you have a malfunction of the epithelia or damage to the epithelia. 
So sometimes the epithelia will stain, but sometimes it's not staining, but it's not producing the glycoproteins of the mucins. So it's, the, the epithelia is not working perfectly. And then you can have, uh, as a result of this vicious cycle in, in the, the three points, you can have, in, as a result or, or, or as a starting point, troubles in the functioning of the nerves, as has been said before, or you can have troubles in the functioning and the, uh, the secretion of the meibomian glands and of the lids. So you have these five points, which are really the points that you have to use to make your, uh, the assessment of your diagnosis. How much epithelial defect do I have? How much instability? How are the lids? How are the nerves? And these are also the things that we can treat. We can treat the stability of the film, we can treat inflammation, we can treat, protect the epithelium and so on. So the, the starting to think that dry eye is not a problem of tears, but dry eye disease is a problem of the ocular surface system will change our approach to the disease. Hopefully also, you know, we, we can do something better for our patient, which are not very happy from, of us. I mean, they're always and complaining. And this is very important uh, and it's very practical. I mean, your message, I mean, when you see a patient at a slit lamp and patients are complaining about symptoms that can refer to a problem with the ocular surface. If you see your patient at a slit lamp and then you think uh, uh, about the ocular surface as a system, in most of the cases, uh, you can make the correct uh, diagnosis. Otherwise you, you can miss something. For example, if uh, you had uh, uh, corneal defects in the inferior part, and you think uh, as a corneal problem, you may want uh, you, you you may miss the diagnosis, because the problem in this patient could be an alteration of uh, the image, as Mauricio as uh, just said. So again, it's a very practical uh, message. Look at the slit lamp and think about the ocular surface uh, as a system. Priya. Surgery and uh, dry eye. Can be surgery uh, uh, one of the main reasons for uh, dry eye? We know uh, a lot about refractive surgery, but we are now aware that also catheter surgery can induce uh, dry eye. Can you please tell us something more about uh, this, uh, this aspect? Absolutely. Um, so you know, we, cataract surgery is probably one of the most common ophthalmic surgeries that's done. And I think all, for all of us that do cataract surgery, we've had a patient come in uh, with 20-20 vision on the chart, but is miserable. Their eye might hurt, might, might be uncomfortable, but more importantly, they come in and complain that they can't see. And it's very puzzling. And, and more often than not, that is a patient that has um, dry eye or MGD that has been, um, that was compensated prior to surgery that then becomes, you know, decompensated after surgery. And so, um, you know, it only takes one or two of those patients to realize the importance of recognizing and uh, diagnosing and treating dry eye disease before cataract or refractive surgery. And um, Dr. Chris Starr from Cornell and I uh, published a study I guess it's two years ago now when time is flying by, but um, we asked ourselves this very question. Well, how often is it that someone's coming in with dry eyed at the time of cataract evaluation? Um, and what we found was uh, 
almost 80% of patients presenting to our office for cataract evaluation have ocular surface disease. And so what we did was we gave patients a questionnaire. Um, we also did MMP9 and osmolarity testing and a clinical exam. And, you know, it, it really was astounding to see that overwhelmingly the vast majority of patients that come to our clinic have ocular surface disease. And especially in this era of modern technology, you know, we have trifocal lenses, we have femtosecond laser, we have all these tools and all these ways to deliver excellent visual outcomes. But if we're not treating ocular surface disease, we can't really harness and, and leverage those um, premium technologies to give patients the vision that they want. And, you know, frankly, I, I think even in our, you know, patients that are getting monofocal lenses, you know, they want to see well too. And the tear film uh, is very much responsible for um, the quality of vision. And another interesting aspect of our study is that, so about half of the patients in the study scored positively or had an elevated score on the questionnaire, um, but about half were not positive. Uh, positive, meaning they had no symptoms. And in those patients, 75% um, or so of them had abnormal tear film testing. And so those are the patients, you know, that when we see in clinic, the ones that are doing just fine, I never had this problem, your surgery created this problem for me. Those are the patients that we need to identify. And the study really nicely showed that, that about half of our patients are asymptomatic, um, who actually have the disease. So, um, you know, just food for thought for everyone out there. But I think that it, this is a very important topic as it relates to our surgical outcomes. We'll have some more opportunities to talk about uh, treatment. But in, a, in this case, for example, would you recommend it to use uh, uh, substitutes uh, after cataract surgery? Um, in somebody that has, like, for example, dry eye, that was identified before. You know, I think artificial tears are great for supplementation. And of course, it's something that patients are very comfortable with. They understand what a tear is. But I think in this pre-surgical population, it, at least in my own clinical practice, I tend to be a little bit more aggressive in those patients um, and start them on, uh, you know, different therapies, depending on, you know, um, as Maritza pointed out, the different types of dry eye disease that are out there. So trying to tailor their therapy to what I'm seeing clinically. Um, and the reason I think why it's important to be a little more aggressive is that some of these therapies like artificial tears can be a good supportive treatment. And, and yet to answer your question, yes, I do recommend those patients to use them after surgery, but sometimes it's not enough to really prepare them to be, um, you know, so, so to speak, treated prior to surgery. Uh, this is a very important uh, point. I completely uh, agree with you. You have to be very careful before the, before the surgery. Great point. Uh, Maurizio, we are seeing more and more young patients complaining about a dry symptom. I mean, what, what's going on? Yeah. It's going on with the, that the, you know, boys uh, are using telephones and uh, uh, retro-illuminated screens by seven, six, uh, six, seven hours a day, at least, at least. So uh, if you look at a retro-illuminated screen, and uh, there are two things that, you, that uh, happens. You blink less, less frequently, I, I mean, and you blink incomplete. And both these things can enhance the time uh, 
that the ocular surface is exposed to evaporation. And so there is an increased dryness. But also, it's very important the frequency and the, the completeness of the blink. Because when, whenever you blink, you push, uh, you know, uh, you make a compression of the, on the meibomian glands and you stimulate the production of the lipids. And uh, if you don't blink, you, your uh, lipids will stay or in the reservoir of the lids or inside the gland. And these lipids are becoming oxidated by the pollution, by, by you know, just being exposed to the air, and they change their performance. So uh, you, you see a more rigid lipid layer, in, and the, sometimes the lipid layer has holes in, in, the, in the surface. Because, it, because if it's oxidated, uh, they, they change it, there's or retraction of the molecules. So you have a permeab increased permeability to the vapor. So th this happens, th this is the main reason. You don't blink enough, you're not going to have a, a good lipid uh, film on, on the surface of the eye. So you get a, what we call evaporative dry eye. And this is what happens. And then it starts inflammation and then from inflammation, you enter the vicious circle. If you have a, not, don't have the ability to come out from the vicious circle, you get a, a real disease. I mean, a lasting disease. Don't forget to blink. Don't forget to have a rest on, uh, while you're uh, you know, working on the computer. There, there is a, a low six, six and six, so uh, have a, no. Uh, Few few minutes, uh, then you stop, and it's. I think in nice days it's 20, 20, 20, and, and so twenty minutes, uh, twenty seconds. Uh, uh, no stop, and looks uh, twenty uh, yards away when when you uh, want to relax yards. But you know, don't forget to blink. Yeah, it's a good recommendation, and uh, yes, because it's about working and uh, e-learning, uh, unfortunately. Uh, they induce a dry eye because we stay a lot of hours in front of a, of a screen. So thank you very much, Maurizio and, and, and Priya. Uh, we'll also have a look at the diagnosis and the treatment in, a, in the next uh, meetings. Uh, so thank you very much for staying with us. And thank you very much for giving uh, all these nice uh, points of view and the suggestions on how to manage uh, our patients to dry starting from understanding uh, what a dry eye really is. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm.